on Jesus Set my sights on home I can't get distracted Cause the fact is This ain't where I Hello, everybody. It's Podden Me. I'm your host, your virtual pastor, your moderator, whatever you want to call me. I don't really care. This is our interview series. I've had some uh, feedback concerning these once a month episodes. Some have said I like them way better than what you do on a weekly basis. We can take the criticism. Yeah, me, Dustin, and Brad, we can take that. Give it to us all day long. We've told you that over and over, Herschel. You know that. If you like these better, You're going to like it today, I hope. Anyway, I digress. Uh, Today we do have a wonderful guest. It's a a friend of mine from Owensboro, Kentucky. He's a pastor friend of mine. We actually just met just a few weeks ago. We share several common interests as I've got to visit with him over the last few weeks. First of all, we're pastors. (laughs) Yeah, we share that interest. His name is Brother Donnie King. Welcome to the program, Brother Donnie. Thank you. Glad to be a part. You're sure welcome. I uh, I was invited to be a part of a Bible study group that you host, and I cannot tell you, Brother Donnie, how much that has helped me and fed my soul. I don't think any of us ever get to the place where we've arrived in our understanding of the Scriptures. Even in Scripture, we learn from those uh, men that are represented there that you, you never reach the place that you've found out enough about our God. <laughs> Amen. I'm learning every day. Well, welcome to the program. And we do have one listener. His name's Herschel. Let's get this out of the way in the beginning. You've been in the ministry for a number of years, correct? Yes, sir. Around 19 years. 19 years in the ministry. Surely out of those 19 years, you've had a blooper or two along the way. Well, I'd like to tell you I haven't, but I'm I'm not given to lying. Uh, probably the worst blooper I've ever had happened at Isla uh, meeting down in uh, it was being held at Brother Eugene Walls Church that year. Okay, and Brother Eugene Walls he says he calls my name. He doesn't say Donnie. He says Brother Dunny Dunny King. So uh, that's been an ongoing joke for a long time. And uh, anyway, we were sitting there. I was keyed up Saturday morning, big crowd, several hundred people there. And I'm sitting on go. I, I've got a message I felt like God had given me. And I know, I just know he's going to call on me. And so he looks back, looks right at me and says, brother, Dun-, and I just jump up and I head up front. I take the pulpit. I preached, man, I felt like the Lord helped us. I went back to my seat, and when I got to my seat, my wife looked at me, and she said, he didn't call on you. (laughs) I said, do what? She said, he didn't call on you. I said, well, who did he call on? And she said, Brother Doug Paget, who's sitting right in front of you. (laughs) I never never waited long enough to hear what he said. I just heard, duh, and I knew Dunny King was coming out of his mouth, and I ran up there, and I preached the message while Brother Doug sat there and watched me take his spot. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) I love stuff like that. God has to have a sense of humor because there's a whole lot of funny stuff that happens in church. You're not kidding. Yeah. <laughs> another interest, speaking of humor, another interest that we have, I found out, is you're a lover of, of humor as well. Yes, I am. That's awesome. We were visiting the other day on the phone, and I found out that we both have this interest as well. 
something that I've been interested in the last few years is to have a greater understanding of the Jewish people. And, you know, the Bible is written as a Jewish book. And I think so many times we as Gentiles and and the Western world for sure doesn't understand the culture. I think that might be something that that our listeners or Herschel may benefit from. You kind of see the the Word of God in a different light. So we decided today that we wanted to have a conversation about that. And you make the case that the Bible is written as a marriage covenant to mankind. And to understand that, we first must understand the Jewish wedding ceremony. So I'm, I'm excited about our subject today, and I, I'm making the assumption, and it may be wrong. I've been wrong before, and I can admit that. Yeah, Dustin and Brad, I've been wrong before. But I'm making the assumption that at some point we're going to end up in Matthew 25. Am I correct? Well, as of right now, I have no plans to go that way, so you've been <sighs> wrong a couple of times. <laughs> Here it is. I thought we was going somewhere. Well, let's let's just get into it, Brother King. Let's figure out what you're going to say when you make the case that the Bible is a marriage covenant. All right. Well, what many people fail to recognize when they read the Bible is that it's a whole book that's detailing the relationship between God and his people. Uh, the Jews understood this to mean that it's uh, something more than what we see. We miss out on a lot in it. If you really read the Bible and look at it as a whole, the entire Bible is a marriage covenant. Okay. okay. Now, when you understand that the Bible's written as a lengthy marriage covenant, you need to understand the Jewish marriage customs around the time of Christ to really get that understanding. Okay. So the ancient Jewish weddings, uh, they hold a lot of meaning for us today. And, and I really believe that we do ourselves a disservice because we fail to look at the Bible as a Jewish book written to Jewish people that God allowed us into. And so the reason of his return, we all talk about the coming of Christ and how he's coming back after us. But if you don't understand the Jewish wedding ceremony, you don't fully understand the second coming of Christ. That's the reason of his return. He's coming to get his bride. Yes. So when he comes in the cloud to take us away, he'll not come as a carpenter. He's not coming as a rabbi. He's not coming as a teacher. He's not coming as a shepherd. He's not coming as a high priest. Those themes that we love to preach about him so much, he's coming as a groom to get his bride. Now, he's he's not like a normal groom, but I believe that he is very much like a normal groom in that his heart is longing for the day he'll be able to take us, his bride, unto himself. Amen. And when you read the scriptures, you get to see that Jesus followed the steps of a Jewish bridegroom that was taking a bride to himself. And much has been lost to us Christian believers who fail to look at it in this way and not take it in its original Jewish context. Okay. Ancient Jewish wedding customs, they help us to understand the one whom our soul loves. Let me read your scripture. Do you mind if I use a few scriptures? Well... We don't usually use scriptures here on the podcast, but since we're both preachers, I guess you can use that to back up your argument. All right. Well, that's good. I've debated atheists before without using scripture. I used only science, so I didn't know how you wanted to handle this. Well, I, I'm a lover of the Bible, so go ahead. All right. 
Isaiah 61 and 10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. He hath clothed me in the garments of salvation. We preach this point, but listen to the rest of the verse. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. Our robe of righteousness and our garments of salvation are viewed by God as our wedding garments. There are many other scriptures that highlight the bridal relationship between Jesus and his believers. Second uh, Corinthians 11 and 2, he said, For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. He said, For I have espoused you unto a husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin unto Christ. And we know that espoused is another word for betrothed, like we know Mary and Joseph there yes. in Matthew 1 and 2. Um, that means to be engaged, all yes. right? But it's a stronger form of engagement than what we, we have here in America. Okay. Uh, th that coming together was really more—they were considered married from the moment they were betrothed. That's why they had a year's time before they come together to be married in the literal sense where they come together as man and wife— uh, that was they were considered married, and if any case of adultery or any uncleanness or impurity was found in that year, he could put her away and marry someone else. That's the biblical sense. So it was typically one year period between the betrothal and the coming together as man and wife. Yes, there had to be at least nine months to prove that she was pure for most you know people yes. to understand that, but they would normally give a year's time thereabouts. Am I under the uh, correct uh, impression as well? During that time, and you may get into this, the groom would go away to prepare their living arrangements? Exactly. As a matter of fact, I'm heading that direction. Okay. <laughs> so you you was wrong about Matthew 25, but you're right about this. Okay. Okay, so <laughs> one, one for one. <laughs> Paul in Ephesians 5 and 22, a lot of times we, we look at this as mainly speaking to the church, and it, it looks like it's husband and wife things that's being dealt with, and it is, but yet it's higher than that. You know, he said, wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands as unto the Lord. Uh, the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. That is a main point here that Paul's driving home. He goes on and says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. Yes. He's telling us how to do it by how Christ looks at the church. The most intimate of all human relationships is marriage. Uh, there's no greater coming together than in marriage. And God is the one that put that together. In the beginning, you know, God created man. He created Eve because he said it's not good for man to dwell alone. Right. And so when he gave the woman to the man, he made that statement. It's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for man to go through life all by himself. And so he pulls them together and he says, what God has joined together, let not man put asunder. From the very beginning of creation, God has been all about marriage. The first miracle that Jesus did, guess where it was at? You know where it was at. Yes. At a marriage. Yeah. They're in Cana. So, uh, Song of Solomon, most people do detect that that's written as a love story between God and his people. Uh, Song, Song of Solomon, uh, chapter 4 and verse 7 says, Thou art all fair, my love. There is no spot in thee. Well, that's what Paul was working on in Ephesians chapter 5. He said he's coming after a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that they should be holy and without blemish. Yes, sir. Uh, I want to link together a little bit of the customs and traditions of the Jewish wedding ceremony okay. to prove this point and drive it home a little further. Yes. 
Okay, so this presents one of the strongest biblical cases for these events and the events of his coming. All right, I'm going to lay it out and uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave some room here if you want to say anything before I give the comparison. Uh, he says, the, we, we look at this, Jesus is teaching us all throughout the Bible by example. The Bible is written for our edification. Yes. And so now you throw in the wedding concept of the Jews, okay? The young man who desires to be a husband would choose him a wife. Once she is chosen, he would pay her father a dowry. Okay. You know what a dowry is? Yes, sir. It's basically, I'm giving you this much money to be able to have your wife, your, right. your daughter for my wife. This would officially start the betrothal period. Okay. The father would give him the tokens of her virginity, and then she would become his, but yet she's there at the father's house, her father's house, while the young man goes away. They're considered a spouse now. They were legally married, but they were not come together yet. Okay. She is considered the bride. He is still the groom, but the wedding is not yet. There's an undetermined date for the wedding. Okay. Most girls wouldn't like that today. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love you. I'm coming back. Uh, I'm going to get you. Oh, when are you coming? I don't know. <laughs> that that just don't cut it for most women today. Right. But we got to keep this in mind when we're thinking of the coming of the Lord. While getting ready for the impending wedding, the man would go back to his father's house and he would build an addition on his father's house. Okay. This is where him and his bride is going to live. Have you ever seen the buildings in Jerusalem, even a picture of it? It looks like just big old long rows, just one big house, just stretching for as long as you can see. Yes, sir. That right there is how the Jewish customs have been. And even Orthodox Jews today still do that. That was one home that originally started that was built on by one man. If he had three sons, the one son built on the one side, the one son built on the next side, and that house would just keep getting bigger. The The son did not leave he stayed with them there's something else i want to add here you made reference that the bride-to-be wouldn't like that the wedding date was an undetermined date uh-huh do you think that some brides-to-be in the western world would also not like the fact that the groom is building onto his father's house and everybody <laughs> <laughs> lives as one big yes. happy family <laughs> Exactly. There, there's there's many marriage counselors who's busy with things like that. Yes, sir. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt you there. No, that's fine. Uh, the groom would spend his next few months getting ready, and uh, he would be preparing the house. Remember John 14? Let, let me go over some of that with you. Yes, sir. He says, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. That word mansion means rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus is talking to his church, his body of believers, the disciples. And he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And it's in my father's house. We're going to have a room of our own in my father's house. Wow. What a what a light turned on in that scripture. And he says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. That's the promise. If I'm going to take the time to build a place, make a place for you, I'm definitely coming back. So you've got my word here. This is my promise. So he says, and I will receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. That's the hope of the coming together of a man and a wife, that they could stay together yes, till sir. death do us part. Wow, what a great expounding of that scripture. Well, the interpretation of it now, when we look at that, this is where it gets so good. 
because we know that Jesus has chosen a bride. We are a royal priesthood, a chosen generation. He's chose us out of all the people of the world. Many are called, but few are chosen. And so we're making up the body of the bride of Christ. Now it comes to the part where he has to offer the bride's father a dowry. Did that ever happen? I mean, surely. Well, we know that Jesus paid for his bride with his own blood, the greatest dowry that's ever been given. What a payment. Yes, sir. He has been gone for a while. He told us that I'm going away. I'm going to get you a place ready. And when I get it ready, I'm coming back for you. And so now he's been gone for a while, preparing a place for the bride that he loves so much. He is building it according to the father's plans. That son that would go away and build onto the father's house as he would begin building, he had to build it according to the way his father built the previous house. And so he had to build it just like his father wanted it. Jesus does the same thing. He's building according to his father's plans. After the son has finished building, he's waiting on the father to release him. Go get her. Go get your bride. We're ready. That's what Jesus told us in the scriptures. I'll I'll, I'll use Mark 13 and 32. He says, but of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the son, but the father. And even the disciples asked Jesus about this before he ascended back to to God. And in Acts chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, when they were therefore come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Will you set up reign here? Will you rule over us now is what he was saying. And he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the father hath put in his own power. So we realize that he was telling us then it's not for us to know when it's going to happen. We just need to be ready. Yes, sir. And that's been the message that we've preached for years. Be, be ready. Amen. What did the bride do while she was waiting for the groom? What could she do? Her only job that she had was to make herself ready. She literally has no clue when the the groom is coming to get her. This is literally the way that it happened in the Orthodox Jews for years and still does in certain, certain groups of them. And it did it for years around the time of Christ, for hundreds of years before Christ, all the way back from Jacob and, and all of, all of that stuff. You can go all the way back to Isaac. All of those, they went by these same customs. I could go into some of those things and show you proof that each one of those steps was done, just like I have explained to you. I'm giving you the the condensed version today, but every Jew went through this process all the way up to the time of Christ and even beyond. And so the, the bride, she would spend her time watching and waiting, not knowing for at any moment he may come. That's uh, that's preaching weather, I think, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's easy to get carried away with thoughts such as this because there's so many angles and so many ways a person could take this and go with it. Well, take off. We got time. All right. Well, one of the next points that I want to bring out, and this is one that a lot of our people, they don't see the necessity of it at times. And I think it bears uh, going over for just a little bit. The bride, while she was waiting on her groom, she was to wear a veil over her face when she went out in public. Okay. Now, this was to let everybody know that saw her she's spoken for. Yes, sir. Okay. That means I'm not available to you or to anyone else. I've got my veil on that lets you know immediately when you've seen her, you couldn't see 
her face because her beauty was being withheld from everyone else, but only for the one she loves. This is why we as Christians should dress differently than the world. That way, the world knows, that way Satan knows that we're already spoken for. Yes, sir. We're not our own. We've been bought with a great price. Right. The dowry's been paid. It goes even deeper than, than an outward appearance. Amen. Our hearts are uh, veiled from the world as well. Exactly. It's a work that starts on the inside and, and shows up on the outside. That is right. Yes. Yes, sir. Yes, and that's the way that the Father intends it, because you can outwardly act excited about getting married. I, to my shame, or it's actually not to my shame, but I have an aunt on my mother's side who has been married. She was married eight times. And the last man that she married, she told someone, they asked her, said, well, well do you even love him? She said, hey, he's got enough money. I'll learn to love him. Mm. That's the way she was looking at marriage. There wasn't any, oh, he's captured my heart. I love him with all my heart. It's it's going to benefit me. I have a purpose for this. This is a relationship built solely on love. If you don't love him, you won't stay true to him. You won't stay faithful to Christ. You will leave. Uh, He loves you. We don't have to worry about him leaving us. That's a promise. He said, I'm preparing a place for you, and I will come again to receive you. All we got to do is remain faithful till he comes. What a challenge to the church. Well, once the time would finally come, the building had finished. Everything has has taken place. The father has okayed the son to go get his bride now. What would happen then is the son would call a great celebration. And what he would do is everyone around the area where the father of the son lived, they would begin celebrating before he even went to get the bride. And he would gather his friends together and his groomsmen, and they would have trumpet bearers go before them. And as they would walk, they would walk from the father's house all the way to the house of the bride. And so as they would go along the way, the men that were bearing the trumpets would blow the shofar. That's that's what the trumpet was. Yes. It was a ram's horn, a shofar. And they would blow that trumpet, and that was announcing the arrival. Everything took precedence below a wedding, even a funeral. There's a Jewish law, you may not know this, but it's written in the Mishnah, that if there was a funeral going down the road, headed to the cemetery, and a wedding met it, and they intersected paths, the people in the funeral would have to quit crying and celebrate and rejoice with them that rejoice in a wedding because new life was being joined together, and they'd have to cease their mourning to be able to rejoice with them that rejoice. Wow, that is awesome. (laughs) That's tremendous. Yes. Can you imagine being one of those in the funeral and you've just lost a loved one? And as you met that wedding and you knew this is a joyous time, I've got to put aside my tears for my personal things and rejoice with them that rejoice. That speaks to us in the church. When we gather together as the bride of Christ, there may be some mourning as if a funeral had happened. And sometimes there have been funerals that have happened. Sure. But we ought to get excited even in our mourning and our sorrowing, and our weeping, for Christ is coming for us, and our tears will be wiped away when we get to heaven. Oh, man. I hear the Apostle Paul saying, we do not sorrow as others that have no hope. Yes. Amen. That's great. So you see how all of this, the whole Bible is tying in with this one thing. 
The whole Bible is a book about a huge wedding ceremony that's going to take place and the covenant that God has given us. A lot of times we talk about the new covenant from Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 37, and we talk about it being a new covenant. It's not a totally new covenant. The only thing that makes it a new covenant is the fact that it was originally from God to the Jews. And so the new covenant is that God is bringing in the Gentiles in grafting us in and he's allowing us to be part of that bride. This is the covenant when God told Israel said, as long as you'll be mine, I will be yours. That is the speech of marriage covenants. That's the whole purpose. The Bible was written from God to the one that he loves. Yes, sir. If you miss that, you missed the main theme in the scriptures. Yes, sir. You can easily see how it's threaded throughout the whole word of God. Yes, sir. And winds up in Revelation. Exactly. It goes from Genesis to Revelation. All 66 books of the Bible refers to God as a husband, as to our love, the one whom we love. All of those scriptures are not just randomly inserted in there. It's one spirit, the Holy Ghost, giving each writer the same thought all the way through from Genesis to Revelation. Praise God. So... All of this would happen, and and as the marriage ceremony goes, I think I got rabbit trailed in my own mind when I got to the funeral and the wedding meeting. But anyway, the wedding procession keeps going through town, and as they head through town, all of a sudden, the first sound that they would hear would be the blast of a trumpet there at the bride's house, and they would hear that blast, and all of a sudden, she would know, he's coming to get me. And so she would get her stuff together, and she would head for the door. Her family would begin rejoicing, and as soon as they would head for the door, they could hear the sounds as the door opened of all of the celebrating and all of the glorious jubilee that was going on of the bride is is being called away by this man who loves her so much. And she would run out and they would come together. They would go back to the father's house. Now, everybody along the way was compelled to go with them. No matter who was around, you were invited in a Jewish wedding ceremony. If you were available and you could hear it, you could see it, you're invited. Come with us. So the offer is extended to whosoever will. The feast began with the blowing of trumpets. So let me take you to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Okay. He said, but but of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. It's going to catch you by surprise. It's going to catch you at a moment when you're least looking for it. But remember what the Bible said in chapter 4, verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. That's the joyous celebration with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. We're forever his until death do us part. And guess what? Heaven is eternal. So there's no death. There'll be no parting. Wow. What a wonderful thought. Oh, it's easy to get stirred up right here. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, sir. I love that picture that you painted. Of all of the, whoever heard the cry. Yes. Whosoever will. I love the fact that God had a plan to save the Jewish nation. Amen. But I so love the fact that we were invited and grafted in. I really think in order to 
love the Lord, you've got to love his his people. Exactly. I've had a heart to uh, pray for Israel and certainly now yes, sir. with the events going on in the world, I believe that the true church has a heart for Israel as well. Amen. But so much of the word of God is brighter in some aspects to me to a Jew who it's been ingrained in their culture, in their very being. Yes, sir. And to look at it from their perspective, just what you've said today about the wedding ceremony has been so enlightening. I appreciate that. It's It's been a lifelong passion of mine. I say lifelong. I got saved when I was 13, and uh, that was 30 years ago, this May the 19th. It's been a wonderful journey. I made it a point. I wanted to know what I believed, and I wanted to know why I believed it. Yes, sir. And so since I got saved for the last 30 years, I have devoted my life to the study of the Bible. When I got saved at 13, I began reading the Bible through, and I read it through the first time in six months. So it took me a little longer the second time around. It took me nine months. And so I started reading it, and I was just, I'm a voracious reader. And so I was reading up to 40 chapters a day. Just, man, I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I was a homeschooler, and so I had plenty of time. I get my studies done. I had been reading two books a day. Okay, on, on average, uh, before I got saved, I'd read one Western and one Hardy Boy book. Yeah, <laughs> so <laughs> good choice. I'd read around three hundred fifty. Yeah, I'd read three hundred fifty to four hundred pages a day. So I took that and focused it towards the Bible and began reading it. I began doing what I called studies, and I didn't know at the time. Now that I look back on it, God was shaping me for what he was going to call me into the ministry years later. I would take topics and I'd study through the Bible and I'd look up every scripture that the Bible mentioned, that specific word or topic. I'd look it up and I'd study it out and I'd get on one of them old Underwood typewriters and I'd type it all out. I'd go back in there anytime somebody mentioned that subject. I'm talking, I'm 13, 14 years old around this time. I'd go in there and I'd look through my notes and I'd say, Nope, that's not right. Or yeah, this is right because, and then I'd have scriptural reference. And that's how I started out studying. And ever since then, I've had a passion to study the Bible as it was written. That's one thing to read the Bible as an American in the 21st century and say, boy, that this means this to me. But to look at it and say, this was a book written anywhere from two to five, almost 6,000 years ago. Right to a group of Jews, to a group of shepherds, to a group of this, and then to understand it from their context into ours. They had customs, they had traditions, they had culture that we never even think in our mind. There's reasons why he said don't put wine into into old bottles, new right. wine into old bottles. It isn't that bottles back then were made cheaply and the glass would burn. It wasn't talking about glass. It was animal skins. Yes. And they would take those animal skins and lay them out, and they would dry out, and then they would take them and sew them together and fill them with water or with the wine they would drink, and they would put it in there, and that would expand. And when it, the skin was new, it could expand good. But once it had expanded to its fullest, you could put no more in it. But when you put new wine in that old bottle and it began to expand again, it would rend that, that skin. Exactly. So there's a reason why the Bible says what it says. That's customs that we don't have today. Uh, we don't have the custom of washings before you go to the uh, to a wedding ceremony like Jesus at the marriage supper at Cana. They had six water pots there. That wasn't just by chance that they had six water pots. It wasn't for drinking water. It was for their hand washing. There were six tractates in their Mishnah that 
talked about how to wash their hands, how far to go up their hand, up their arm, how to do it for a wedding, how to do it for a church service or a synagogue service, on and on. There were so many things detailed. We don't we don't have that. And so we just think, oh, they had six drinking fountains there. That wasn't for drinking. Right. And then the miracles performed. And if most of them would have known where the, the uh, wine came from. <laughs> that's right. The servants saw the miracle, correct? That's right. Wow, that's awesome. It brings the scripture so much brighter. And that's one of the reasons why I got a hunger to try to to uh, learn more about the, the Bible from a Jewish perspective. Amen. You told me the other day something that intrigued me. You said that some Messianic Orthodox Jews, is that saying that correctly? Yes, sir. Came to a, uh, to a church that you were attending at the time when you were just a young man, correct? That's correct. Yes, sir. Do so you want to share some of that? Yes, I, I'd be glad to. I was probably in my late teens, early, early 20s, between 19 and 21. And one night we got to church and there was a big van parked out over there and wondered who it was. And it had Yahweh is Yeshua on the side of the, the van. I thought, what in the world? And I knew those were Hebrew names, but it, it didn't ring a bell with me. And so we went inside and uh, there was these two guys that had come in. They were they were Orthodox Jews, I thought, but yet they were Messianic. That that means they received Jesus as their Savior. Yes, everybody was afraid of them during service. They, you know, you. And nowadays, since 9-11, you look around, you see somebody come in that's got a turban on their head and a big beard. You wonder, are they going to blow the place right. up? <laughs> that's what right. I think some of the church was afraid of. I'd recognize they were Jews and they were not Islamist, okay? Right. They would not have had Yahweh's Yeshua on the side of their van if they were Islamic. Right. So anyway, service goes on and everything in service was just avoiding them. They didn't want anything to do with it. As soon as service was over, everybody rushed to the back of the church, was exiting quickly and those two men were standing there and I'm, I'm a curious guy. I love meeting new people. So I went over to them and I began talking with them and they did come hoping in, uh, to have a chance to speak that night and they didn't get it. But one thing they did do, they got to speak to me yes. and it was well worth their trip in my eyes. That's what put the hunger in me. I began talking with them and they began sharing some scriptural insights that I, I'd never seen before. And he told me the one man that I was specifically speaking with, he said, you know, Jonah is one of the greatest types of Christ in the Bible, according to the Jews. Is that right? Yeah, that blew me away because to me, I'd always looked at Jonah up to that point as a rebellious guy, and you don't really want to be like Jonah. So, you know, he goes in and he begins expounding on that idea or that thought. I said, well, tell me, how do y'all see that? And he began telling me different things about how that Jonah, when he goes down into the belly of the well, he's there for three days, three nights. Well, Jesus even alluded to that. Yes. So, yeah, I kind of got that that picture. Well, he got to talk about how that while he was in the belly of the well, Jonah equivalated it to being in the belly of hell. Because he says, from the belly of hell cried I. There's two main beliefs that comes from that. The Messianic Jews are separated. Half of them believe that Jonah truly died in the belly of the well and God resurrected him. The others believe that he was as good as dead and God would consider him as a dead man if he didn't bring him out of the well. And so, or fish, as the Bible says. Yes. And so there's your two camps. Some believe he truly died. Some believe he was basically good as dead. But either way, it was a resurrection when he came up out of the belly of the fish because Jonah said, 
He was in the belly of hell. Right, which is the place of the departed souls in the Old Testament, correct? Exactly. The Bible teaches us that Jesus, you know, he went in and preached to the spirits bound in prison. I know there's a lot of controversy whether he did go into hell or not and preach to them. The Bible said he went into the heart of the earth is what the Bible says. Right. Peter said he preached to those that were bound, those that were held captive. The Bible said that Jesus, when he resurrected, he led captivity captive. When he came out, he led captivity captive. That means he brought them that were in bondage to another place that they were being held. I personally, and I know some people don't believe in this, but I believe that Jesus offered those people that were in the Old Testament, they were not saved by the blood of Christ. Right. We we hold them in high esteem, but Moses wasn't saved by the blood of Jesus. Jesus hadn't come yet. David wasn't saved by the blood of Jesus. All of these men, Abraham, the father of faith, he wasn't saved by the blood of Jesus, right. but he had faith in God. They lived according to what they knew. And they kept hearing over and over a consistent theme through scripture. There's one coming. There's one coming. Moses told the children of Israel, there's one coming after me. There's one coming after me, a prophet like unto me, and him shall ye hear. All through the prophets, they were looking for that one who would come and deliver them. It all pointed one direction. Exactly. Abraham died. Moses died. David died. All the great men of the Bible died. Before he came. Yes. So to say that all the men are lost today would be error. But to say they were all saved by the blood of Jesus would be error as well. Right. So I believe this is the point that Jesus went and he represented what he had done unto them and told them, said, I am he that was going to come and I have come. And they believed in him and they come out of captivity. That's what I believe. I'm not going to argue with you. And I matter of fact, I'm going to believe it right along with you. <laughs> That's very good. <laughs> so the book of Jonah gives us the fulfillment of what that means when you study that. And so that's what led me on to that chase of what would the Jews say about this? How, what did God mean when he wrote it to the Jews? We're reading it in our modern day context, thinking about America. And so that's why we think everything that happens in Revelation is happening in America. We just see it all unfolding right here. And we do see parts of it unfolding. But it was written to Jews about Jewish things that's going to happen to the whole world. And we are part of that world. That's how we're intertwined and interconnected with it. Let me say this, and I'm going to close out on this part. Okay. That feast that was conducted of the wedding ceremony, yes. it began with a trumpet sound. It was ended with the trumpet sound. And the Feast of Trumpets is the, one of the only feasts other than the Day of Atonement, which is the Day of Judgment. We stand before God. The only two feasts that's left to be fulfilled still yet. Are you anxious to hear the sounding of the trumpet? Oh, yes. Yes, sir. Until we see the Bible as a love story between God and lost humanity, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, that life forever joined to the one you love. Till we see the Bible as a love story, we're missing out on a lot of the beauty of our relationship with God. And the main question we need to ask ourselves is, are we going to be faithful to the one who we're espoused to? Well said, Brother Donnie. That is outstanding. And you've sure given us a whole lot of things to think about and to ponder. And hopefully, this is my prayer, that people will hear what is said here today. The, the Gentile believers in the Lord will hear what's said today. And they'll get a hunger to see God's word through a Jewish perspective. Yes, sir. Because it gets he gets so much bigger in it. Yes, he does. You mentioned something just a moment ago about how that we look at uh, even the events going on and just look at it in the slant of what's going on in America. And I love our country. Yes, sir. 
But if we're not careful, we'll fall into the very same trap that the the disciples did and the New Testament church did. The Jewish portion of them yes, thought that salvation was only coming to them, and they found out just a few days after Pentecost that it was opened up for the whole world. <laughs> that is right. Before we go, I got a question for you. Okay. Could you please tell Herschel something about Brother Donnie King that he may not know? Well... One of the things that Uncle Herschel may not know is that uh, I wanted to be a comedian or a meteorologist. Really? That was my two lifelong dreams that I wanted to do. And God didn't let you do either one of them? Well, some people would say my preaching somewhat of a joke, but uh, I think that the Lord uses me at times. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and you, do, you are able to read the weather forecast spiritually, correct? There you go, yes. <laughs> so maybe you are maybe you are getting to carry out your dreams. <laughs> I believe you're right. Yes, sir. Hey, it has absolutely been an honor to have you today. And I know that Herschel's gonna enjoy what you've had to contribute to the to the program. And I want you to come back on sometime. Sounds wonderful. I would be pleased to, and I'm honored. Yes, sir. God bless you, Brother King. God bless you. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you hear and want to show support, hit the support link in the description below.